Hello, and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. I already have a southern accent. <laughs> we are your hosts, Katie Mead and... Robert E. Lee. No, this is Luke Boyd speaking. Hi, y'all. <laughs> Colonel Angus is here, too. <laughs> oh, Colonel Angus. Why, I haven't had Colonel Angus come by in a long time. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. So uh, we are back in New Orleans, obviously. Uh, Going to just jump right in here. Part two. Yes, part two. And I wanted to begin by saying, Luke, I don't know if I, I don't think I mentioned this in the last episode, but our, our boothing, Mr. Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark, Mark Twain, <laughs> who he is the one who first referred to New Orleans cemeteries themselves as cities of the dead. And the reason was... The graves pretty much look like little, a bunch of tiny little houses. <laughs> <laughs> so, little shanty town of graves. Yeah, exactly. You know, so. and Mark Twain is not just the depth of the water for a steamboat; it's also the depth you're buried at uh, in the Mississippi <laughs> mud. Is Mark Twain depth? So, yeah. gotta put a couple yardsticks down there to get to the Mark Twain depth. T- totally. Yes. Oh, and I also didn't mention. You know, we just keep talking about that there were a lot of cemeteries, but I didn't say that there are really, um, there are over 40 in New Orleans, which is a bunch. And uh, so only 38 to go after that for today's episode. <laughs> we're so close. Uh, I'm not going to talk about all of them today. You're welcome. But I am going to hit on a few of the most famous and interesting cemeteries. So, but before we get into talking about the cemeteries, I wanted to get into the death culture of New Orleans a little bit. We mm-hmm. had sort of danced around that last week. So I wanted to start by talking about one of... You're not dancing on graves. <laughs> not actually dancing on graves. Although, the first thing I wanted to talk about was something that people like to refer to as a jazz funeral. <laughs> <laughs> and that term, by the way, is not used by people from New Orleans. That is an outsider term. <laughs> they would never call it that. <laughs> It's just a funeral. These are celebrations of life and death. And this is something that originates in the Black communities of New Orleans. And the tricky thing with a lot of this history, um, particularly when we're we're talking about these Black communities, is Mm -hmm. there's this lack of written history that exists. Mm-hmm. So we're relying heavily on oral tradition, what's what's been passed down from people who were enslaved to people who became free but were illiterate. And then eventually it moves forward to a written culture. But then the people who could be preserving that culture don't give a shit about the culture. So what happens? Right. It wasn't documented either. Right. So it could have started much earlier, but to as far as we know. Earliest accounts reveal. Exactly. It's as early as the 19th century, if not earlier. Mm-hmm. So in the last episode, I was talking about my experience with second lining at a wedding and how joyful that was. So that practice also exists in funerals. And that second line refers to a crowd of community members, people who are mourning. They are following the first line of the parade, which would mm-hmm. consist of the casket, the family, and musicians all marching towards the cemetery from either the home, the churchyard, or mm-hmm. the funeral parlor, what happened. Like a procession. So instead Big. of driving through cars, they're walking on foot. Exactly. And we are not talking about 
bagpipes or some sad ass Catholic dirges. <laughs> we, crying the whole time. Crying the whole time. This shit is a party. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun. It is a fucking Dixieland band. It is a damn good time. No, we, ain't, we ain't got time for the saddie. How many parts of the band? How many pieces? <laughs> it's a bunch. Like 16? <laughs> we got, well, it probably depends on the, on like the funeral and the band you hired. But this is percussion, trumpeters, fucking tuba player, <laughs> a trombonist. I mean, they are not. Some brass going there. They're not skimping on the brass, let me tell you what. And now, as joyous, of course, as a brass band sound, they are initially playing more somber songs. Mm-hmm. And Luke, these would be songs that you would probably recognize as a Catholic, because again, remember, this is a largely Catholic population, certainly early mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's going to be sad. It's just going to be a little jazzy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> be not afraid. Be not afraid. I go be for you always. <laughs> oh, no. On eagle's wings. <laughs> On eagle's wings. Exactly. <laughs> So that's the sad half. And mm-hmm. that's that's until they get to the cemetery. And then right. they say goodbye to the loved one. Uh, and then after that, it becomes... There's a tone shift. Exactly. Where it becomes more of the celebration. And mm-hmm. the music kicks into high gear. And that's when you'd actually hear when the yeah, saints go back to the eagle's wings, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you'd hear something real zippy. Some sort of spiritual. Then, then it becomes a Zatarain's commercial. Yeah. Go tell it on the mountain. Yeah. Absolutely. Love a Zatarain's moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, this is, it, it resonates, I think, for most of us. There's always this component of after, the hardest part is that initial procession. I've, at every funeral I've ever been a part of, the hardest part is actually after the ceremony ends and going to the cemetery. That's always when I cry the most because that feels like this is the real goodbye. And That's then the they're, part. yeah. And then they're gone. It's the finality of all those emotions. Like you've been working up to this point in the, in the performance of the, of the funeral, yeah. whether you're like an intimate family member or like in the back row, oh, yeah. you have to, you know, it's, it's so emotional. It's so public. It's like you're a different, you know, emotional state. Yeah. So then when you have that moment of, officially releasing Mm -hmm. the person physically into the earth Mm -hmm. there is sort of a lightening of like well that's over now yeah and now i have to live i have to figure out how to go on and that's a lot of what this tradition is about is that this is this is the circle right this Mm -hmm. is the circle of life and death and let's remember how fucking lucky we are that we are still alive and let's celebrate Let's dance, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and many of us in our various cultural traditions would have this a repast, a gathering, you know, for Absolutely. for Irish Catholic American folks in my tribe, we go to the local pub, you know, mm-hmm. and we we imbibe, we tell stories, we laugh, we cry, we sing, you know. My people, we eat and we eat and we eat. We have a nice antipast. <laughs> and there's going to be a salad course and you can have your pasta course and you're going to have maybe some chicken I parm or whatever. I would like some fresh mozzarella right now. That'd you're going to have nice. so much wine. You're going to talk shit about your cousins. You're going to have a great time. <laughs> it's a reunion. <laughs> and, it, and that's the thing too is what brings people together, weddings and funerals. Right. Right. And you always have the, oh, we don't talk enough conversation. And then you never talk to them again. 
Right. I saw you at the last funeral. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, why do we keep only seeing each other like this? And then you don't see them again till the next funeral. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but uh, but this is so, so much more of a community thing because it really is just total strangers will see the second line and join it and start love that. singing and dancing. Part of second lining is... You know, you may be twirling a parasol or waving a white hanky around. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's the whole thing. That is called second lining. There's an actual name for that. And it is joyous, which seems like such a contradiction. But it's an important part of this grieving process. Yes. The first time I ever really saw that was when I was young. Like TNT would always have reruns of James Bond. (laughs) (laughs) Live and let die was like this perennial, you know, it was always on. And like in that movie, there's a couple of beats where there's funerals and there, but it's very dramatic where the funeral stops mid street. Yeah. (laughs) Or like they drop the body out of the, out of the coffin and then they just start losing their shit. Like as opposed to going to the cemetery like having the moment going back, it's like coming down the street and it changes halfway through. Of course, for Hollywood, that's you know, that's the, the oh, yeah, the, yeah, the story that works absolutely, yeah, totally. Uh, it's the best uh, to me, but I'm also a Beatles person. It's the best song from any Bond movie ever. Oh, Paul McCartney, <laughs> yeah, yeah, transcends the series. Oh, absolutely. I got to see him do that live and it was. Oh. Something else. Paul live. Oh my god, he's amazing. He sounds exactly the same. He's so expensive. Forever. Yeah. Oh, he's show. very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. Looks- like I know with musicians, it's really, it's really tough. But okay. like you know, we're living in the Taylor Swift moment, and it's just like I get it, girl. But how much money do you need? You know, I, I just, <laughs> come on. It's a little. I see you. Come on. I see you. Speaking Not of musicians, yeah. I have a wonderful quote. From a gentleman who his name is Stafford Ag, which I love that name. He is a trombonist in the Rebirth Brass Band in New Orleans. Clever. And he was, yeah, he was interviewed by Vox, and he said, "I never liked considering a funeral being a gig. I'm performing for somebody's homegoing ceremony." And later on in that article, the author wrote something really lovely and profound, which was in New Orleans, grief doesn't exist without laughter, without Mm -hmm. dancing, without the movement of bodies, the crush of crowds, and the reminder that death, no matter how somber, is a part of life. So, so beautiful. And it's really powerful. And it's a, it's a good reminder that in our, even in our deepest, darkest grief, we can still find joy, if nothing else, to be, joyful for the person who is released from this torturous existence. Yeah. You know, and it's dark, you know, all uh, uh, references to uh, James Bond aside. Mm. um, I, I really like discussing these kinds of things because in black culture, there's not a lot written and there's not a lot known in those early years. But what we do know is like from wedding ceremonies or from funerals is that there were only a few moments in their lives when they were enslaved where yeah. they had any kind of control over what they could do absolutely and like how they could marry who they could marry how they could bury their dead and honor their dead is one of those few things yeah and so it's a space that a little space where they could imbue meaning and tradition like into it and make it into something that's so powerful and amazing and life-affirming and transcendent 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's what it's all. It's that is so American in, in it's tragedy and it's purity and like, you know, the jazz of new Orleans, like the remix of culture is the remix of everything. Oh yeah. It's just the melting pot of it within a melting pot. It is. It really is. And, and you bring up a great point, Luke. And in my research here, one of the things that I hadn't considered, but is super important to note is that, you know, you would think with an enslaved population, they wouldn't have this level of freedom to have this ability to really celebrate their culture because this is coming from African culture. Um, But what's different about New Orleans, particularly, sorry, in Louisiana, specifically like South New Orleans, is they outnumber white people Mm. very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so they are able to just get away with more you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's I, I wouldn't say it's like turning a blind eye. I wouldn't say that they have freedoms per se, but it's just they can hold on to their culture if for no other reason for their vast numbers. But also there some of the rules were a little different. For example, uh, mothers and children were not separated. Mm-hmm. So you're creating a real Your family units are intact. Yeah, a real oral tradition, a way of carrying on this culture. Mm-hmm. And so there's a reason why <laughs> black culture is so ingrained in New Orleans where maybe we don't necessarily see that as much in some of the other southern states. Not to I, you know no, absolutely. And I gotta draw a parallel though with uh with South Carolina, like yeah. coming through like like the Gullah Geechee culture. Yeah. Like, through, like the passage of all the diaspora that are enslaved and like all like the Ellis Island of of the South is through Charleston. And like people come from the ships like through there. Mm-hmm. And yes, most of the time they're dispersed, but there's so much that goes to the plantations nearby or in the city. And it's such a different culture because it's not French and it's, it's, Mm -mm. you know, it's this, you know, Southern deep South tidewater, you know, culture. Um, Yeah. And South Carolina was a, not that there was a good place to be enslaved, but South Carolina was particularly notoriously horrible. I mean, unless you were on Benjamin Martin's farm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. You did great. (laughs) You luck. You're free. You're free. He actually bought you. He does the work for you. You get to watch him make chairs. Oh my God. That's great. Great callback to the Patriot. Good for you. Well, <laughs> it is absurd that that movie takes place in Charleston. I can't, the more I think about it, it's more absurd. It. It's more absurd. Angry it's a it, real. It could have been anywhere. Why was it there? Yeah. But, you know, and to the point, the oh. Gullah, the Gullah Geechee scenes, that's the culture. Mm hmm. You know, it's it's token, it's bullshit, but it's depicting it. I'll give them credit for at least exposing people to it. But I will give them no further credit beyond that. And if you haven't listened to our Patreon episode where we slam the Patriot, I highly recommend it. It's a great great time. So that's where I'm going to leave it in terms of the, the funereal customs and culture of New Orleans. But uh, let's talk about what happens after the funeral. Let's talk about burying them, people. <laughs> When your loved one is to be interred at a <laughs> in a New Orleans cemetery, you're usually going to encounter one interning of, point. Interning. Uh, I'm so interned. <laughs> I got an internship. 
been walking around with a drink all day outside in New Orleans. <laughs> anyway, uh, you will generally encounter uh, three types of graves. So first is the fantastically named coping graves. <laughs> I'm not coping. Which I am not also. Uh These are burial sites that are made of a set of plaster-sealed stone, marble, or granite walls Mm -hmm. that seal off the coffin from pending water levels. Smart. But the graves themselves are uncovered. So it's not like you're buried under 620 whatever how many feet of dirt. Right. Uh, You're, You're a structure in Mark Twain's city. Right. And you're just covered with gravel at that point. But the grave is about three feet above the ground. So you're still, you know, hopefully evading being swept out <laughs> to the river. <laughs> I guess. Is it that air? I mean, is it that airtight? Could it get waterlogged if there's a flood? Like, what are we, you know? Well, what I do know is that during Katrina, a lot of these cemeteries did fairly fucking well. I mean, you don't remember hearing terrible stories about the cemeteries. Like it wasn't fucking yeah. a thriller video. <laughs> like it wasn't just like old bodies were coming up from the ground. Right. Or, like the, like the dead marshes in Lord of the Rings. Right. right? No, it's, it, I mean, these worked, they really did, you know? So, and, and let it be known. Yeah. A, a lot oh, of these the cemeteries, French. Oh, the French. <laughs> A lot of these cemeteries did suffer varying levels of damage in Katrina, but for the most part, a lot of them stayed pretty well intact. So that says a lot for these methods. So your second, your second option, you got your ledger stones. These are large and flat stones placed on top of the grave plot to seal in the coffin with, in my opinion, much more <laughs> higher that quality. That sounds bona fide. Give me a paver. I am not coming out. I don't want you to come out. You stay in there. (laughs) Uh, Some of the ledger stones in New Orleans cemeteries are even engraved. They may have the family's history, personal touches, their favorite flavor of ice cream. I don't know. (laughs) What do we think about about the very modern practice? I think it's rather Italian-American, at least in my experience, of like the little hideaway picture. The hideaway picture. It's like a little like disc, like that's on the front of the grave, like a gravestone. And like there's a little like metal slide. It's like an oval. It's like a it's like a cameo. And you slide back the window and it's a picture of the person. (laughs) I hate that. I hate it too. I hate it. And it's like, and it's like, you know, it's people of a certain age of a certain life experience it's so it's it's, a, it's an old person with slick back hair and big glasses Perfect. with a pastel blue background like the equivalent of like a like a school photo of like someone who's 63 i'm here for it <laughs> who looks 75 you know exactly horrifying I right. to do that's it. what carmella looked like okay <laughs> right let me just slide that back okay. and then a lot of them are left exposed Oh no, I know nothing of this. I don't so just the face is looking at you. No. Oh, I oh, oh, oh. I'm grateful that I know nothing of this, that my Italian American family has avoided this <laughs> up until now. <laughs> a lot of Deluchis, and you know, it's a lot of those, um, you know. Fucking Deluchis. That's all I'm saying. Every time. 
Uh, so your third, <laughs> your third grave in New Orleans, these are the real humdingers. These are your wall vaults and your oven vaults. Uh, each of the original New Orleans cemeteries are surrounded by a perimeter of wall and oven vaults. So when you walk into one of these cemeteries, mm. you will see just the wall on the walls, these graves, like so and like it, a brick wall. Literally, you look at it and you think like, oh, it's just like some engravings on this wall. Every yeah. single one of those is a fucking grave. It's so bizarre. It's super creeps. Um, People shoved in everywhere. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So these walls of tombs were meant to be used to house the dead for like an entire family line for ever. They could keep recycling these tombs for till the end of time, till the cemetery itself doesn't exist. So let me explain how that works. Um. Luke, you had kind of briefly mentioned in the last episode this idea of, uh, you know, what is the decomposition like in New Orleans? So we're going to address that now. Swamps, yeah, the dead marshes. Yeah, so the climate plays an important role in the burial practices. So a body is placed on top of a shelf in the tomb for a, quote, year and a day, which you may be familiar with that phrase that comes from that Judeo-Christian doctrine from ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Mm -hmm. So you got a year to rot. <laughs> That's what you get. Or to resurrect, you know. Yeah, whatever you want to do. <laughs> um, after this period of entombment, either the body is literally pushed to the back of the tomb. From what I gather, it could be they're taken out of the coffin itself. Coffin is destroyed. They're thrown in like a bag and shoved in like the corner of the tomb. Some, some of the descriptions sound very unceremonious. And Not really, a bag. Really fucking sad. Um, or it's just placed to a bottom tier of the tomb. You know, like when you're, you're doing the game where you put your hand on the bottom and then someone puts their hand on top of that. And I think you just keep going up and up and up and up. I mean, this is really giving me, you know, Lincoln's body vibes. Why are we moving? Why are we shuffling? <laughs> Why are we disturbing? I'm never okay with disturbing bodies, but here you Let go. him be. So, but here's the thing, Luke. What happens is mm. the body over the next 50 plus years is going to slowly cremate because of how intense the humidity and heat are in New Orleans. Yeah. So these so turn it so turn into a case of the vapors, basically. <laughs> this is the biggest case of the vapors <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> the visual I get is Live here in the vapors. <laughs> vapors. I the visual I get is which is so appropriate because it was it takes place in New Orleans is at the end of Interview with the Vampire when they're just the two ladies are hugging each other at the bottom of the pit and then they just like they blow away. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah, a very beautiful preserved Pompeii sarcophagus of dust exactly. that just explodes as soon as you blow on it. Yeah. Mm, burnt. Yeah. Burnt. God. So this is very effective. To the point very where, scientific. Yeah, to the, to the point where um, multiple generations of family are here. I mean, people have been interring their loved ones, I think, like 150 years for some of these families. And this practice, I actually think I saw something. This is actually a Roman 
thing originally, mm. which, you know, they were pretty smart. That's they had a lot of good ideas. They really, <laughs> so, did. They really were. Um, but with the entombment in the walls, space is getting very limited in the cemeteries, right? So something that was very a, a cheap alternative was putting them into the walls rather than letting them just, you know, fucking float away <laughs> on the next right. train. So these tombs, these, <laughs> these wall tombs, they became particularly prominent in the worst years of outbreaks of yellow fever, cholera, what have you. They're sometimes also referred to as rental tombs. <laughs> Just renting this one for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not permanent housing. Okay. Do you want a do you want a leasing tomb? <laughs> do you, gonna, uh, <laughs> I would never buy a tomb. Do you want a timeshare tomb? Uh, like, what do you want? All the expenses that come with owning your own tomb. I just will care. I can't afford that. <laughs> you could call the landlord when you have a problem with your rental tomb. <laughs> um, so the reason why it would be a rental tomb, here's a great example. Please. Let's say you have two family members that die within that same, quote, year-in-a-day period. Mm. And this happened a lot during some of these really terrifying epidemics. Really filling up that hair wreath calendar. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what. Uh, So that poor second guy who dies, uh, where is he supposed to go if the first one's taken up the main slot in the tomb? So it's like, sorry, second guy, for a little while, you got to go in the wall. <laughs> you got to wait for uncle to vaporize first. But uncle, you only get a year in a day. So you better start vaporizing. <laughs> you behind schedule. <laughs> but these wall vaults, they could actually hold up to 10 people inside of them at once. Which so is this thing six feet deep, like long? Are they in the ground beneath the wall? I need a... I need an illustrated encyclopedic the wall. I don't know how to describe it. The wall is huge. Yes. Yes. Or is it the wall in the side of like earthworks? Like, is it like a hill wall? No, babe. These are walls. (laughs) The wall where there's side A, side B. It's crazy. (laughs) Go let me let me just give you a second to just quickly Google like Saint Roche Cemetery. R-O-C-H. Yeah, yeah. Say Just so you Roche. can see really quick what I'm talking about here. Uh, <laughs> Is it clear now? <laughs> <laughs> it's so tight and dense, yes. That's the thing that when you walk into the cemeteries, that's the most overwhelming thing is there's a lot of dead people like right there. Yeah. They're not six feet underground. They're right there. Yeah. It's overwhelming. It really is. Um. Mm. And that, and they were designed to really put a shitload of people in there. And these tombs are valuable. Like people leave spots in their tomb to people in their family. Like you can inherit a <laughs> sure. seat. A seat. Sure. Because <laughs> they're expensive. Real they're expensive state. as fuck. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about how expensive some of these are later in uh in our talk, but uh What's great about these, too, is a lot of these tombs and graves, they will list every single person that's ever been buried in them. So you could have these crazy long lists Mm. of names dating back to the 1700s, which is crazy cool. But I get to 2008 and it's like, okay, it's a QR code. Scan the code. You can (laughs) see the rest of the freaking people enough. (laughs) But then there's this one guy who... 
<laughs> was reading an article where it says it costs a lot of money to read each name. So the families know who's there. They're going to save money by not e- bothering inscribing all the names at this point. <laughs> like, God, that's cold. <laughs> also, it sounds like you could just dispose of a body really easily if you had a good, if you had a good, if you had a good vault. Yeah, sure. I mean, they disappeared. I don't know how accessible they are, but yeah. Theoretically. Yeah, pretty regulated sites. <laughs> and uh, oh, and this would be a great time to mention, um, you know, I'm talking about how expensive some of these are and everything. If anyone has ever gone through the horrible experience of losing someone they love and then also had to be responsible for the costs of this, mm-hmm. funerals and burials are wildly expensive. Even then. Yes. And so you have a city full of a lot of poor people, a lot of immigrants. Um, and so from this need comes these benevolent societies. And one of their primary functions in New Orleans is to make sure that even the poorest of the poor could afford a funeral and a burial. Even if it was only in a pauper's grave, they still deserve a resting place. Mm -hmm. And it became so vital, again, because of these horrible epidemics. There's just too many bodies and someone has to help. So, yeah. Very important. We love our benevolent welfare. Yeah. Yeah. We love our benevolent, our benevolent societies. We are pro benevolence. (laughs) I love benevolence. Um, And in general, there's some of these tombs are like societies unto themselves. Like Mm -hmm. there's like an Italian society, a Portuguese society. And then there's even like the fucking elk lodge has their own tomb where it's like, oh, Fuck wants to be buried. Their fellow elk. The murder of elks. The benevolent elks, as they are. <laughs> Which, by the way, have you ever met an elk? From My everything I've heard, elk, so you better watch it. They're not <laughs> nice. <laughs> I guess my dad is the nicest elk I've ever known. <laughs> I meant like actual elks, like the animal is not nice. <laughs> oh, my dad was an elk. <laughs> I killed Lukey's dad. Oh my god. <laughs> So speaking of prefer caribou, correct. A hundred percent. They're so similar. So speaking of graves, let's pick up where we left off at St. Louis Cemetery number one. I mentioned that it is the oldest in existence, but I don't believe I mentioned that it is on the National Register of Historic Places. That's how incredibly significant it is. It's landmarked. Indeed it is. And um, most of the cemeteries, the really old ones, are landmarked within New Orleans, like as part of this, a city landmark. Um, but only St. Louis one and two are national landmarks yeah and to the point where uh rangers used to give tours there that unfortunately does not happen anymore and i will explain why in a moment so i want to talk about some of the cool peeps who are residing currently <laughs> in graves at we got some notables okay we great. have some notables for one there is mr homer plessy as in plessy versus ferguson very good Come on, high school history. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a while. No one does. <laughs> because it's not it's not a good one. <laughs> no, it's a precedent it's a sad that you one. Yeah, you're part of a long list of Marbury versus Madison, all these precedents that you know if you guys were taking bathroom wheel <laughs> bathroom breaks. You're smoking, if you're smoking in the bathroom. Yeah, if you're smoking in the bathroom during this one. Uh just as a reminder, Homer Plessy was a man of mixed race who could pass as white and sat in the white section one time, uh, but decided to announce that he was black because he was tired of the bullshit. 
which good for him. Um, and of course, it turns into an arrest. And he says, my rights are being violated. The 13th Amendment is being violated. And ultimately, he loses in court. And the judge says, racial segregation laws are totally cool as long as everything is equal. So separate but equal right. is created, that notion. Reifying so, the Jim Crow era. Hooray, Jim Crow, hooray. <laughs> so yeah, that's probably why you don't think about it. Because <laughs> womp womp. Um, other notab notables, the most fascinating person there, by far and away, is a voodoo priestess, Miss Marie Laveau. <laughs> Marie Laveau. Marie so we're both, we're both physically serpentining like Angela Bassett. We're making nose, scrunchy noses. <laughs> she scrunches the hell out of that season. That nose. I can't not see Angela Bassett as I literally, the whole time I was typing this, I was just seeing her making all her fucking faces. <laughs> Doing the hair. Fucking. She's so good in that series. She's serving it. Oh, it was great. Oh my God. Yeah, if you guys have never watched American History... American history, ha <laughs> American horror story, uh, coven, which was season three, three, mm -hmm. which is probably one of the best ones to be honest. So good peak. Um, she's fantastic in that. Um, and the woman herself, Miss Marie Lavou, uh, she was actually a Catholic. She was born in 1801. She was biracial. Really? One of her parents was Creole. And, you know, I say, Oh, she was Catholic. And, for people who don't know a lot about voodoo, you may be surprised by that, but voodoo and Catholicism are intrinsically linked. I am not going to go into the details of voodoo right now because mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, that is its own fucking episode. But basically all you really need to know about voodoo in, in this context is that in new Orleans, this is a amalgamation. It's an amalgamation of Haitian voodoo, Catholicism and West African religious practices. And it's often considered an African diaspora religion yeah, in and of a blend, itself. Unique blend. Absolutely. And again, voodoo is kept intact because of these cultural traditions and languages that are sort of allowed in, in this more, I don't want to say permissive, but they, they're getting away with more. Let's. There's a permission that. structure in place. Indeed, and so uh, she is. She is there. Um, you mean she actually died? Living, oh. <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, I don't I know. She was still living in New Orleans. Which she does in her in her off time. <laughs> oh, and speaking of American Horror Story, someone who is who is alleged to be there, but most people don't think she's there, is Miss Madame Lalaurie. <laughs> Who? Ooh, yeah. Big baddie, big baddie. Oh, Kathy Bates played the Kathy shit out Bates. of her. She stole my heart. <laughs> oh, oh my God, she's so good in that. Too good. Um, For those who don't know who that fucking she-devil is, um, <laughs> one of the worst human beings to ever exist. Calling her a human being doesn't even seem appropriate. She was a Real twisted, evil murder bitch. Yeah, she's a fucking serial killer and <laughs> she tortured the enslaved people who she kept on her property. And I don't just mean she whipped them or, you know, withheld meals. I mean, she did depraved like Mengele level oh, demonic fucking yeah. shit to these people forever for years until finally she was caught and so because she kind of went on the run 
Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, there's no way she's buried here. So right. there's some questions around that. She doesn't deserve to be buried there, frankly. She should, should have fallen in the fucking... We don't want a monument to her. We don't want to tempt anyone to pay homage to her. Christ. No. No, thank you. Yeah. So even if she is there, I wouldn't mark it. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Regardless, she doesn't, she doesn't fucking deserve it. She's burning in hell forever. Right. Um, she should be a toilet wherever she rests. <laughs> <laughs> Shit in her face. Like. I love that. I sentence you to toilet. For all eternity. We need a new conversation here at the <laughs> cemetery. Oh, my gosh. So going back to Miss Marie Lavou, uh, she is generally believed to have been buried in plot number 347, uh, which is the Glapion family crypt in St. Louis Cemetery number one. Mm-hmm. Even this has been disputed. Uh, a journalist believes that she was not buried there. Regardless, most people seem pretty confident that is, in fact, her final resting place. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is that for a very long time, tourists would come to pay homage to her. And they would draw little X marks in accordance with this decades-old tradition that if you want these voodoo priestess to grant you your wish, you are going to put three X's on the tomb, turn around three times, knock on the tomb, yell out your wish, and if it's granted, you have to come back, circle your ex, and then leave her an offering, which is a huge part of voodoo culture. There's gods and goddesses that you're supposed to give offerings to as part of the culture. I'm sure some of you are aware of. There's some animal sacrifice components, but if you go to the the voodoo museum in New Orleans, which is awesome, by the way, you see these mountains of offerings to these images of of mm-hmm. gods and it's just it's super cool so that is something that people have tried to do at miss laveau's grave now and so it's not like roses and like ephemera it'll be some apparently <laughs> one of the things that i noticed at the voodoo museum um and that i'm sure was also happening at her grave is cigarettes is a big one <laughs> People like leaving cigarettes and booze and some of them leave food. I mean, it's a whole thing. It's great. Um, <laughs> so Peach Melba. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, my God. Parliament lights. Peach Melba and some bourbon? Come on. <laughs> so this doesn't happen anymore because <laughs> the Catholic Archdiocese said, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. There was far too much vandalism going on in St. Louis Cemetery. And so I had mentioned that Rangers had been giving tours, but I think it was around 2015, the Archdiocese said, we're shutting her down. Hmm. We are no longer keeping this place open to the public. And that's that. However, Hmm. and this is the most Catholic thing ever, they realize there is a money grab here if we have private touring companies do guided tours of the cemetery, that way all our shit stays safe and we make some money off of this. <laughs> Exclusivity, control the market. Absolutely. Sure. Control the people, control the market. Yeah. And it was smart ultimately because yeah, these are, these are relics. These things are super old. And so you can also more easily control where people are treading, right? They're screening people. <clears throat> people who paid 15 bucks are less likely to act out yeah, you know, we dealt with this when we worked at that museum together. That museum, absolutely. We were just like we were so afraid of what people were going to do, 
And it's like, it's different when you have a, a, a bear, a, a permeable or whatever, a, a barrier to entry. Yes. You know, and it that matters. is a, whatever, a screening process. And, you know, that compels good behavior. People abide by that social contract. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, and part of this also is definitely the archdiocese, probably their lack of uh, comfortability with the voodoo aspects happening in one of their yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's and it's so interesting because Catholicism is part of voodoo. It is. That's part of its creation. But voodoo is not part of Catholicism. But a lot of people will tell you that voodoo is devil worship. Yeah. It's evil. You're and you're worshiping many gods. And you know, it's does not fall in line with Catholicism at all. Right. It's a big tent Catholicism, but it's like most of cultures have another practice that's Diametrically opposed in some way. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you can go for anybody who is interesting interested in visiting this particular cemetery. You can go, but you do have to go via one of these approved guided tours, unless you are a family member, in which case you can flash a pass at the gate, and then you are permitted to enter. Get my fast pass. At the <laughs> you cannot get a fast pass. Uh, so, once Saint Louis One starts to fill up. Thank you, massive epidemics and continuous overpopulation. A second cemetery is required called St. Louis II. Electric <laughs> Voodoo Boogaloo. Okay. <laughs> voodoo Boogaloo. I love that. So that's 1823. Uh, Best. Yeah. What a time. What a time to be alive. Uh, so, yes. It's built because of the fullness of the already existing <laughs> cemeteries. At capacity. And also with the idea in mind of like, maybe we could just scooch it a little further away from the center of New Orleans. Because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of diseased dead bodies hanging around in the middle of town. Maybe yeah. we can scooch those away a bit. <laughs> Moving ever so slowly to the periphery. Yes. So more and more, and this is a this is happening throughout the United States, throughout the world. Yes. Where it's like the urban park movement for cemeteries. Yeah. Know. It's like they don't really have to be right here. <laughs> yeah. Travel transportation gets better. You have of course it gets collapsed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also, you know, we are not um we are not as church focused per se as we move into the age of enlightenment and everything, you know. Sure. And so whereas the church was also the center of town. Therefore, the cemetery would need to be next to the church in the center of town. But we are expanding. We are changing. We are shifting at this Changing point. relationship to our morbidity. Correct. Always. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so just for reference, the first cemetery is about 10 minutes from Bourbon Street. This one is now 15 minutes from Bourbon Street. So we are slowly crawling away from Bourbon Street, which... Right. Who hasn't <laughs> crawled away from Bourbon? <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Makes that second um, line all the sweeter. Oh my God. Hell yes. So uh and this and the honestly, if we can give credit to anyone for the creation of this cemetery, it's our dear friend cholera. Because holy shit, <laughs> that was a really bad epidemic that led to needing this cemetery. And yeah getting a cholera infestation of bodies out of the city center was a good move. So uh, unfortunately today, again, because of uh, this vandalism issue, 
this one is actually completely off limits. There are no tours. There's no access, mm. which is really sad. In fact, even as a family member, you have to have an appointment. You can't just show up and be let in because they probably uh, I'm guessing the reason for that is perhaps it's not. They don't have staff to like watch you while you're there. You know yeah, what I mean? That like it's a, a security guard. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a bummer. And it's not the only cemetery in New Orleans that is like kind of shut down and mm-hmm. closed off. Um cuz th- these places are really old, you know, and preserving them probably costs a lot of fucking money. So it they're going to do whatever they can to protect them. Sure. And it's sad that they have to be protected from the public, but you know, human beings are terrible. <laughs> so Let's mosey on to St. Louis number three. This brings us to 1854. Mm. And uh, this cemetery. Breaking new ground here. I cannot wait to tell you about this one, Luke. (laughs) (laughs) This is located. This is it comes about in 1853. And this is located on Bayou St. John at the site of a former leper colony. (laughs) Because that's right, kids. They had a little bit of a leprosy problem in New Orleans. <laughs> this is the kind of intersectional history that I live for. Let me tell you, New, or- New Orleans is a cursed city. Like, right. was there was there a massacre there before all this happened? Like, oh, I mean, I, I mean, don't fucking know. You know, um, and it wasn't just in New Orleans, Louisiana in general, for a really long time, suffered. Under the fucking weight, the terrifying weight of leprosy, mm. like, which is just like that word just is shocking. All I think of is biblical nightmare fucking disease. It's terrible. Dermatological nightmare fuel. Yes. And it was such a scourge that there is still a research center there and patient care facility in Baton Rouge. Because guess what? Leprosy still happens, you guys, <laughs> which I try not to think about. As of 2001, actually, there were 15 total leprosy cases, which, by the way, is also known as Hansen's disease. Mm-hmm. There were f- there were 15 reported in Louisiana, which to me is 15 too far, many. Far too high. So, yeah, it's crazy that it's still around. And the, the most famous, this is so in your wheelhouse, by the way, Luke, the most famous uh, leprosarium, yes, they had their own fucking name. Mm-hmm. It was called... Uh, Carville. It's generally known as that because it had had like a dozen different names over the hundred years that it existed. Interesting. And it deserves its own episode. It's wow. got real like um, Black Angels vibes. Oh, cool. And so it still, it's like, it, it's a museum now, which mm-hmm. is very cool. You can go mm-hmm. there and actually like experience some like interpreted material and spaces and things like that. Okay. But it is still connected with now there's the research around leprosy and everything. Yeah. Which I learned, by the way, they think you can get it from fucking armadillos. So stay away from armadillos, you guys. No way. Oh, yeah. I went down some real fucking rabbit holes in this. I mean, it's more often than not, it's zoological. That's all I'm saying. Yes. It's origins probably are from the African continent. Mm hmm. Right. Makes sense. Um, which to me, that's also like if I if I was a superstitious person, there's some punishment vibes to a lot Lord of this. Giveth, the Lord taketh away. Mm-hmm. You created a you committed a great sin 
And there you go. <laughs> so anywho, so similar to St. Louis too, people were like, this bitch needs to leave town. We don't need this here. <laughs> So <laughs> this one's actually like over an hour away from Bourbon. Now Street. we're talking. So now <laughs> we're doing a good job. Um, that's, the, that's the truth. When you go to a lot of these cities, the good cemeteries are the ones that are way out of town, way in the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah. So that's where the good shit is. That's where the good shit always is. Um, I'm just going to kind of breeze through a couple more uh, before we call it a day on the cemeteries. But um, there's St. Patrick's Cemetery 1, 2, and 3. Very good. St. Pat's. I was waiting for the Irish stronghold. Yep. We're established in 1841. It is, of course, established by Irish Catholics who come to town in 1833. Yes. We have plenty of dead rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Um, this uh, this comes to be uh, very populated again as a result of that horrible yellow fever epidemic that I mentioned in episode one of 1847 and then of 1853. Um, apparently, mm. in 1853, upwards of 1,300 people a week were dying from yellow fever. And this Irish population being a largely immigrant population were really taken out by it. Apparently in the month of August alone, something like 1,100 yellow fever victims were laid to rest in St. Pat's number one, wow. which is wild. And what this did to the landscape of St. Pat's one is uh, there were just so many bodies having to be buried all the time. It's not organized in distinct rows. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a mess in there, which is really fucking crazy. Mm. Um, the second and third St. Pat's cemetery were a little bit more formal and laid out, but St. Pat, but St. Pat's is really <laughs> chaotic comparatively. So we'll, I'll definitely need to uh, pull up some photos of that so you can check it out. But yeah. Um, and the congregation of course would change over time. So you'll see, you won't just see Irish names there anymore. You'll definitely see English, French, Italians or names, uh, Germans as well. So yeah. Uh, part of the Catholics. Cult. Of course, mm -hmm. of course. And while we are obviously emphasizing the Catholicism of New Orleans very heavily, um, it's not like people of other faiths weren't allowed in New Orleans. And there are certainly non-denominational cemeteries there, cemeteries of other faiths that would show up over time. So I'm not I'm not saying that it's, it's Catholic or get the fuck out. Right. <laughs> certainly not now. Um, so going back to the St. Roche Cemetery, Cemetery 1 and 2, these two are, um, they might be my favorites. I spent time in, in these two, and they're just super creeps and fascinating. Mm. So um, there's an interesting story. I think of all of them, this one has the most interesting story behind it. So the cemetery is dedicated in 1875. Um, it had initially been established by Reverend Peter Leonard, I think his name is Thevis, who was the pastor of Holy Trinity Church. And this was a German congregation, predominantly. Mm -hmm. And so the neighborhood was called St. Roche, by the way, which is what, where it gets that name. So what happens is St. Saint, Saint Roche, this lovely little community, just like the rest of New Orleans, gets hit horribly by the yellow fever epidemic and so reverend thevis or thevis or however you say it he prays to saint roche for relief 
and promises to build a shrine to him if the members of his parish were protected from the disease. Now, St. Roche is associated with good health and healing. Hmm. And so the idea, and apparently uh, the saint was supposedly, he supposedly cared for and cured plague victims in Italy in like the 14th century or whatever. So that's the significance. So lo and behold, although, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people are dying from yellow fever, apparently Father Thevis's community had not a single life lost. Because of Purell in the holy water. Because of Purell. (laughs) (laughs) If you were a believer, you would say it was St. Rush. Yes. And so uh, the man was good as his word. Great. And he built the chapel of St. Rush and then the surrounding cemetery and the gates officially opened to the public in 1876. Isn't that awesome? That is really cool. I know. It's super cool. And something also super cool in St. Roche, I think it's the cemetery one. You will go into the chapel. I I think it's accessible now. It's closed at certain times. Again, these are all decrepit. You know, they're not in the best condition. Um, But if you do have access to it, and you can certainly see pictures of this (laughs) online, inside the chapel, there is a small room where there are rows of prosthetic feet and legs. Yes, I've seen this. False teeth, artificial eyeballs. So all this stuff Mm. that people would have on their person when they died. Hey, everyone. uh, We have never done this, um, but the information I gave was so egregiously incorrect that I felt like I had to put in a little after correction. <laughs> um, the chapel of St. Roche or St. Rock, as it's, I think, actually pronounced, um, the prosthesis and everything else that is in there was actually left by people who either had been cured by praying to St. Rock or from uh, leaving items there in hopes of being cured so it's it's a more hopeful story than a terrifying one um but it's still creepy as hell when you go there and there are objects in there where we don't quite know what their meaning is so it very well could have been tokens from people who had died but i just wanted to make sure the story was as accurate as possible so my deepest apologies enjoy the correction enjoy the rest of the show bye and then the last one I'm going to mention very briefly, there's a, there's many more. There's Lafayette Cemetery that I'm not going to get into. I mean, again, there's fucking over 40. But uh, the Metairie Cemetery is also uh, a very interesting one to talk about because it's an unusual shape. Mm-hmm. It's an oval, which is weird for a cemetery. Mm. But the reason is because it was a racetrack before it became a cemetery oh, in that. 1872. <laughs> I hate is this is this more like a memorial garden? Or are these still these outside tomb boxes? Oh, babe! Not only is this tombs these this one actually boasts like some of the most expensive tombs, the, mm-hmm. and where a lot of people are still buying plots. So you have tombs that are like in excess of a million dollars, right? So very at this showy, cemetery. flashy mausolea. Yeah, and in that same. Uh, tone of conversation i want to talk about one of my favorite people and their relationship to new orleans mr nicholas cage <laughs> <laughs> go on the revered actor 
once revered actor Nicolas Cage. Although, did you see him in Pig? He was very good in that. I haven't seen Pig, but I just saw Renfield a few weeks ago. It was fun. I, I love had a Renfield. Good time. I it was very Renfield. enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I want to see. I wanted to see Pig. Watch it. it. You'll. It really was like I don't know. I I I have to be in the mood for these like into the wild castaway type. Like I have a seemingly bottomless appetite. It's actually, nicer than either one of those movies. Believe it okay, or not. Okay, great. Yeah, well, it has a nicer ending. That's good. Um, but anyway, so as a lot of you probably know if you've ever watched an interview of Nicolas Cage, he's fucking weird. He's a weird guy. <laughs> and so he decided at some point, I don't off the top of my head have the year because I didn't I didn't even write any of this down. I'm just speaking about Nicolas Cage off the cuff. Um, he decided he desperately needed to be buried in New Orleans. Uh, okay. I know. So he, of course, is going to be buried in, in the best place possible, which is St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. <laughs> um, and he pays... $40,000 for the construction of his tomb, which again, he's the not page. dead. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of awful because it's this big like pyramid shape where all these others are so gorgeous and yeah. gothic and his right. is just like, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. I'm going to be buried under a panopticon like the dollar bill. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, I so think he's got also, some body ass fucking. Oh yeah, edifice. He was so into New Orleans. He like got into voodoo a little bit. He owned for a period of time. He owned um, Madame Lalaurie's house. Ew. Yeah, he because because he was at that level of rich where I just own things. You know what I mean? But if you also know anything about Nick Cage, you know that he suffered financially because i think he has a spending problem <laughs> <laughs> so he gave it up but he also s apparently said like he never felt safe in that house he never felt good there he never wanted I to think actually he actually go. switched faces with john travolta i think it was real <laughs> yeah i <He> took his <laughs> face <laughs> he did <laughs> jay and i frequently quote the movie face off one of the favorite being peach <laughs> i could eat a peach for hours <laughs> Is that Con Air? <laughs> no, that's Face Off. <laughs> oh, how dare you? <laughs> I remember being that Southern in Face Off. Anyway, he just always sounds kind of Southern. So his insanity aside, these these places are phenomenal, phenomenal relics, resources. Um, incredible resources. The fact that you know, usually on our podcast, we save the like how to learn more to the very end, but I, I just go guys like you, unless it's one of the ones that I explicitly told you where people are not allowed to go, just go. I mean, the city itself is brimming with this amazing death history. <laughs> you can go to the voodoo museum. You can go to any of these cemeteries. You can walk by these places where Marie Laveau lived. You can walk by Madame LaLaurie's house. You cannot go in there. I wouldn't go in there anyway. Um, <laughs> you can visit. Uh, there's all kinds of macabre shit there. You can actually go experience that. What is it called? It's like their museum of like med they have like a medical history museum there. That's super creepy. Like, the oh, it's like I think it's the pharmacy museum. Um, mm. That's really amazing. No, it's just it's a phenomenal city. And I didn't even get to get into like the haunted side of the city because that's a whole other 
morbid spooky thing but you know it's not really our purview as a podcast (laughs) i'll save that for one of the many paranormal spook shows but (laughs) pretty much everything i've mentioned uh there's some sort of a ghost hanging out (laughs) in these places that's all you need to know yeah you can read between the lines absolutely you can can see between the stones yes it Um, is the most haunted city in america and one of the most haunted cities in the world so there is no shortage of ghost tours in new orleans (laughs) by any means I think it's so fascinating to think of these cultural landscapes and, you know, you and I are very similar in that we go to places and we just, you know, we want to see everything and do everything and absorb things. And like, you know, yeah. part of that is going to the cemeteries. Like you have to go to these, because it's different in every region and there's different things you can read in the stones and the way people are buried, oh, yeah. the practices. We talk about the human geography. This is like the, you know, morbid corpse geography. Like it's part of it. It's, it's. Yeah relationship with living in the dead tells us so much about who we are and where we're going and you know absolutely um, and and it. It, and it would be frankly ridiculous to go to new orleans of all places and not experience the the death culture because it is if i've if i haven't made it clear up until now it is the main artery of the city is these cemeteries i mean it's the the death and devastation that this city has seen i mean really it it is the haiti of the united states mm-hmm. in the terms of the things that it's experienced yeah. just endless disease and horrible natural disasters it is it is a tough city man but it's tough and also that it survives mm-hmm. over and memory. over again it's incredible and the people there are incredible so if any of you listeners are people from New Orleans, first of all, I'm so sorry if I got anything wrong <laughs> and for my accent, that's really not good. Um, but no, it's uh, a beautiful love letter to New Orleans. Yeah. K- kudos to you guys. Like as a new, as a New Yorker, I, you know, I understand being New York strong, being, being Nola strong is a, is a beast unto itself. So absolutely. Tip my, I tip my parasol to y'all. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, nothing I can do to add to that. I think that is really well said. <laughs> it's a great, great place for us to leave things for next time. <laughs> we should we should go. All right. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Get the latest on Instagram and TikTok at The Morbid Museum. Get in touch with us at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. Consider becoming a supporter of our podcast by joining us on Patreon. Become an official Morbuddy today. As always, we'd like to send an extra special thank you to all our Patreon listeners. Without you, none of this would be possible. In particular, we'd like to send big, extra, huge thanks to our More Bestie for Life tier buddies, Dennis Barrett, Haley Lamp, and Tristan Pearson. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. 